Thank you, Pastor Tim, for that. Uh, or Tim, I keep calling him Pastor, but we fired him. <coughs> oh, he's on probation. But anyway, th thank you, Tim, for that prayer supplication. And, and I want to thank you, uh, uh, congregation and guests. Please don't think that, that, and I know I speak for other pastors, other preachers as well. P please don't think that we take for granted that you are here and that you are going to be coming Sunday after Sunday to sit through our preaching. And it is a wonderful honor to be able to stand before you and have the, the task of opening up God's Word and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to use me as an instrument to help you and me to grow in the Word of God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your attentiveness. Thank you for your hunger for God's Word. And thank you for your prayers for, for us as we preach. This morning we're going to be talking about the biblically healthy church. I just had a physical, not an actual physical. I go every three months for blood work and they ask, you know, probing question, questions. I don't mind the probing questions as long as they're not probing. <clears throat> but anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, that's all right. Um, and, and, you know, there, there are benchmark standards that my doctor uses to gauge, you know, my weight. And I don't know why they check my height. It's not like I'm going to go up and down, up and down. <laughs> Shrinking, yeah. Uh, but they checked my blood sugar, you know, and, of course, coming right out of holiday season, Christmas and what have you. That's not good. But uh, <clears throat> there, there are different benchmarks that the doctor uses to, you know, with all this blood work and there are, there are normal standards for all these things that they check for in your blood. And they send you this report uh, by email. And you can just kind of look at that very quickly and gauge, you know, up, oh, I'm high here, low there, not good here, you know, and, and kind of determine the overall health, you know, your overall health. If they put at the bottom, we suggest you call 911, you know you're not doing too good. But uh, that hadn't happened yet. There are benchmarks in the Bible, in the, in the Word of God, that helps us to gauge our own individual health, spiritually, but also as a church. And, and that's what I want to address this morning. These messages, this Sunday, next Sunday are in preparation for our winter seminar, which looks at this from, from uh, different angles. And I want you to be involved in that seminar because it is interactive. But this morning, I want us to focus our attention upon the idea of the biblically healthy church. And so I, I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles to our primary text in Acts chapter 2. We're looking at the first church. But as a, as a way of contrast, maybe a, to appreciate Acts chapter 2, after you've found Acts chapter 2 and hold your place there, I'll invite you to come on over to the end of the Bible, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, if you're so interested to read that along with me, or you can sit and listen and I'll read it to you. But in this chapter 2 of Revelation, the Revelation, you remember that Jesus is writing through John seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, and and I want us to, to see in these letters, or in one of the letters, uh, something I think is interesting. In fact, I'll just read from chapter 2 of Revelation, beginning in verse 1. It says, To the angel, or the pastor, or the shepherd of the church of Ephesus, these things says he, speaking of Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, 
your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles, and they are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. That sounds good. If he's writing that to Cornerstone, I'm saying, yay, yay. But then, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, in other words, your ministry, your witness, from its place unless you repent. If you go to that part of the world today, the Mediterranean, in the area of what was Asia Minor, and you, got, you, you, you try to look for First Baptist Ephesus or First Methodist Ephesus, you won't find the church of Ephesus. From all indications, they didn't repent. And Jesus removed them from their place of service and witness in the world. How is it then that you have churches like Ephesus who is accused by the Lord of being loveless, but not just Ephesus. Further in that chapter, in verse 12, he's talking about the church at Pergamos. That is a compromising church, and he rebukes that church. And then in verse 18, the church at Thyatira, he, he rebukes that church for being the corrupt church. And then over in Chapter 3, a letter to the church at Sardis that he calls a dead church spiritually. And finally in verse 14 of chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, he says, you're lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. How, how is it then that, and it just seems in, almost incredible, that these vibrant, once spiritually vibrant, alive, healthy congregations like Ephesus, some 40 years after their founding by great men like the Apostle Paul, how is it that they find themselves being rebuked by the resurrected, ascended, and glorified Lord for their woeful unhealthiness? It's a syndrome that is infecting and plaguing the world. Churches that were once alive, full of life and dynamic, suddenly are weak and anemic and spiritually, barely spiritually alive. And here in contrast, we're going to be looking in chapter 2 of Acts. You can turn over there if you'd like. We're going to be looking at that first church. This is the church that was spawned, birthed right out of that powerful movement we call Pentecost. The Spirit of God poured down upon those early believers and a miracle happened. The body of Christ was born. And that church, driven by the great commission of our Lord, made its presence so dynamically obvious to that first century Jerusalem setting that, that thousands upon thousands of people so in, in this church, as we look at in chapter 2 of Acts, and that will be our primary text, we'll be looking at other scriptures, but we will be looking at what are, I determined to be three essential priorities that healthy churches must be committed to. Biblically healthy churches 
must be committed to at least three, these three essential priorities. And I invite you to be critical. I invite you to be analytical. As members of this church or if you're a member of another church, I invite you to hold your church up against the teachings of the scriptures and these essential priorities to ask, are we a healthy church? So let's get started here right out of the gate. The, the biblically healthy churches, number one, are committed to exalting the Lord. Lifting up God, bringing glory to the Lord. This was a priority in the life of the Son of God. In the beautiful Lord's Prayer, not Matthew 6, as you often think about, that's a pattern prayer. But in the prayer where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is face to face with God the Father in prayer. In a beautiful prayer. Right out of the very beginning of that, that beautiful prayer, as Jesus' eyes are focused on heaven, he says, Father, in, in chapter seven of John, uh, 17 of John's gospel, John 17, verse 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Listen to how many times Jesus makes reference to glory and glorified. As you have given him authority over all flesh, and he should that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do, he says. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory with which I, uh, which I had with you before the world was. In verse 10, and all mine are yours, speaking of his disciples, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 22, and the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Jesus understood his main focus, his motive, his purpose was to bring glory to the Father. And when he was glorified by being lifted up on that cross as the precious Lamb of God and further glorified as he was resurrected from the grave, he brought glory to God the Father. This ought to be a priority for us. If you go back into Ephesians in chapter 3, you'll see Paul giving a wonderful doxology there in chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. But you know where he talks about there. In the beginning of that wonderful doxology in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3. But in verse 20 he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. According to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be the glory. Unto him be the glory. By Christ Jesus through the church. Through all the ages, world without end. Listen, in, our, in, in coming together as the body of Christ, our main purpose is to glorify God. We exalt the Lord in our corporate worship opportunities. When we gather together, going back to Acts chapter 2, I'm picking up in verse 40. Peter is, is hot into this powerful, spirit-filled word-based message in which he's confronting the people of Jerusalem, the Jews primarily. 
And, and it says in verse 40 of chapter 2, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Peter's preaching powerfully the word of God. In verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple. This is the early church. And breaking bread with one, uh, from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And as we come together, the church is gathered. The worship of the saints ought to be focused on the presence of holy God. We are in the presence of holy, eternal, all-powerful, righteous, sovereign God when we come for the purpose of worship. Last week in the message that Pastor Mark brought for us out of Isaiah chapter 6, he did a marvelous job of, of revisiting that powerful vision that God gave to Isaiah there in the temple when in that vision Isaiah lifted up his eyes and he saw God, he saw Jehovah God and the two mighty seraphim, one on each side and they were, they were worshiping the presence of God. They were holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So should that response be elicited from the hearts of authentic worshipers when we focus our hearts and our minds upon God. We're in His presence. We're in the presence of His holiness, His righteousness, His power and His might. His grace and His mercy. The worship of the saints is focused on the presence of the holy God, but the that the true worship is centered also on the exposition of God's word. Prayers are absolutely essential to the life of the church and in the context of worship, so is the music. But ladies and gentlemen, nothing takes the place of the centrality of the preaching and the teaching and the exposition of the word of God. The word of God drives our Worship it did for that early church as Peter was preaching the word of God. His message brought back to their recollection some of the wonderful experiences of David recorded in the Old Testament. And he used the word of God and the power of God through the spirit of God to convict the hearts of the people. The word was central in the worship of the people of that early church. And that's why they were so dynamic we have a responsibility when we come together to uh, exalt God, to lift Him up. And that pertains to when the church is gathered, but it also pertains to when the church is scattered. We exalt God when we come together in worship, but we also exalt God when we go out to our respective homes and our places of work and school or wherever we are out in the world. Listen, we ought to constantly be engaged in hearing the Word of God. I like to walk in the mornings to keep my body as healthy as I can. And I, and I just like walking. But you know what? As I'm walking, I'm listening. I'm listening to Bible teaching. I'm listening to preaching. I'm listening to... I, I want to saturate my mind. I don't want to waste not a minute of the time that I'm out there letting God's Word just, just pour over my soul. Listen, we ought to be reading the Word of God every day, not just on Sundays. We need to have the Word of God before us. We need to be not only reading and hearing the Word of God, but we ought to be... A, 
practicing and obeying the Word of God. Every day we ought to make the Word of God practical to our lives and, and, and to, to obey it. This gives glory to God. The Lord loves to see church members sitting at home with their worship guide on their lap, reviewing some of the, the responsive reading or reading through those powerful hymns of faith or have the Word of God opened up whether you're studying your Christian growth group lesson or just doing the, the daily Bible, reading through the Bible, or, you know, whatever that may be. God loves it when the focus of your daily life is the Word of God. Makes me think about Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the, of, of the, of the Lord, the law of God. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. He'll bring forth his fruit in its season and his leaf will not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. Listen, God loves it when his people love his word. The Bible is for our spirit what food is to our physical bodies. How's your spiritual diet? We exalt God. We honor God. We glorify God when we're not just at church reading the word of God and studying the word of God, but in our daily lives we engage in the word of God. Because you see, we as the people of God, we have a responsibility to bring honor and to glorify God and to exalt the Lord. I think about a passage out of the Old Testament, one of my favorite in 1 Chronicles in chapter 16. You could go back and read the whole thing, chapter, uh, uh, beginning in verse 23, 1 for, uh, Chronicles 16, 23 through 29. But in verses 28 through 29, he says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due unto Him. And bring an offering and come before Him and worship Him in the splendor of His holiness. Oh, listen, the purpose of the people of God, whether gathered or scattered, is to lift up the name of God, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, to bring glory and honor and praise unto Him. That's the mark of a biblically healthy church. It's all about the priority of giving glory to God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's our ultimate purpose as the saints of the Lord. The biblically healthy church must be committed not only to exalting the Lord, but it must be committed to equipping His people. To equipping His people. First through Christian discipleship. It's good to learn the Word of God, but ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you've got to be about the business of applying the Word of God. These wonderful, timeless, eternal, divinely inspired principles are not just for pretty reading. They're there to make a difference in your life, to set you apart, to sanctify you from those who don't know God, who are outside of the body of Christ. And therefore, it's important, don't just hear the Word of God, but Put it into effect in your life. And that's what discipleship helps to do. James says in James chapter 1, verse 22 through 24, he says, be doers of the word and, 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 and not just hearers of the word. 
be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word and, and, do it, and, and that deceiving yourself. If you're just hearing the word and you're failing to put it into practice, you're deceiving yourself. He goes on to say and says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like the man who observes his natural face in the mirror. He turns and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of a person he was. What good is it when you come and you hear a message or you hear a biblical lesson and you hear it, but you fail to go back into your daily life and put it into effect and to practice it. It's just like looking at a mirror and forgetting what you look like. I can convince myself in three or four seconds after I get up and look in the mirror, I look like George Clooney and so I go on. If I, if I believe that, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> but then when I look back in the mirror, I said, oh my, I need to pray. <laughs> Healthy churches are committed to teaching and practicing sound doctrine. Now, despite the fact that Pentecost was a highly emotionally charged experience, and you know it had to be, who couldn't be moved in all of their emotions in the midst of this pouring out of the Spirit of God and seeing the, the miraculous transformation that came over that 120 believers that were gathered in that upper room and to hear Peter preaching a message like this that was cut into the hearts of people who couldn't be moved in their emotions. But isn't it interesting that the leaders of the church were very careful to make sure they made the foundation of the church not on, built on emotions, but built on solid biblical doctrine. And we have to be careful when we allow our emotions to, to become the gauge of whether or not we feel like we have worshipped. Anybody can whip a crowd up into some emotional ecstasy and, 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 and frenzy and all of a sudden they get you know, carried away, if you will. That's not the church. That's not what it means to worship. Discipleship helps us to be grounded in solid biblical doctrine. Even in the Great Commission in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, the Lord Jesus understood that when He says, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. But listen to what he says next. And teaching them, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. See, Jesus understood it's not just good enough to go out there and win converts and convince people to sign a, a card or walk an aisle or, or, or say a, a, a prayer. Jesus understood the importance of making disciples dependent upon teaching them the truth of the Word of God. And so must it be an essential role in the biblical teaching of the church today. If we are going to be a strong church, a biblically healthy church, then we've got to commit ourselves to teaching the Word of God. Going back to Acts chapter 2, I want you to see in verse 42... Talking about those early believers that were added to the church. It says in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You see, the, the apostles Peter and James and John, the rest of the, the, the apostles, they were teaching the early believers, those new Christians, Everything they knew, having experienced Jesus Christ, having walked with Him and talked with Him, having heard Him preach and teach powerful, authoritative lessons about the kingdom of God. They were teaching the people the Word of God. They were building the foundation of the church on solid truth. 
So when we talk about the church equipping the people of God, we equip the church in solid discipleship, but we also, the healthy church, is careful to equip God's people through Christian fellowship. Read further with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Listen, prayerful dependence is indeed a solid benchmark of a healthy church. You have to insert times of meaningful, heartfelt, Bible-based prayer before God. There's got to be a line of communication with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is essential. But this idea of fellowship, they were coming together. And look in, in verse 43, and then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The people were witnessing this. They were together. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Do you see what's going on right there? The Spirit of God is not only transforming the minds of these people, but the Spirit of God is transforming the very hearts of these people. Bringing to life that new commandment that Jesus gave to His disciples in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, when the Lord Jesus looked at those men, He says, listen, you know all these other commandments. I've talked about the greatest commandment. I've talked about the second greatest commandment. But let me share with you the new commandment. You shall love one another as I have loved you, so shall you love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Listen, that new commandment was coming to life. It was being fleshed out. The Spirit of God was transforming the hearts of the people so much so that they were losing their, te their sense of selfishness and self-centeredness and they were giving their properties away or selling it and bringing the proceeds. No one went with need. Authentic relationships are wonderful and encouraging and, and, and nothing does a pastor's heart more good than to see the people of God, the church, reaching out in times of need, in times of crisis. When somebody's going through a time of, of hardship or struggle or tragedy to see the body of Christ just by the Spirit of God just be activated to, to reach out, to, to genuinely care for one another. Oh, listen, that does a pastor's heart mighty good. Hey, listen, if it does my heart good, can you imagine what it does for the Father? That's what these people were doing. They were being equipped in Christian fellowship. But also, when we talk about fellowship, listen, we also have to be clear. Authentic relationships mean mutual accountability. Mutual accountability. We not only have a responsibility to celebrate with one another when great things happen in our lives, when God is blessing us like new babies being born or, 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 or marriages taking place or engagements being announced and all these you know, promotions being made and things. Listen, this great to celebrate together. We have a responsibility to do that. We not only have a responsibility to do that, but also when there's a need, as I indicated, that we reach out to care for one another. We have a responsibility to one another, but also 
also the scripture doesn't stop short of there because you see, we also as a body of Christ, we have a, we have a responsibility to hold one another accountable. A healthy church does not knowingly tolerate the existence of unrepented sin in its fellowship. Its leaders and members, unlike the vast majority of pastors and church members out there in our contemporary society, do not shy away from or excuse away biblical church discipline. Because we understand. We understand. We get it. We're family. We have a responsibility. We don't put our heads in the sand when a brother or sister is walking and living in unrepentant sin. Heaven forbid! Matthew 18 tells us we ought to be motivated to engage in, in biblical church discipline because our Lord commands it. And not only that, our love commends it. We belong to one another. We are responsible for one another. That's the, the nature of a biblically healthy church. We're family. I'll slip up and call you brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. That's not to make myself sound Pentecostal or something. It's because I just get wildly excited about the fact that I'm a part of the largest family in all of eternity. And it's still growing. Hallelujah. We are family. I sound like Sister Sledge, you know. We are family. I guess everybody ought to be. <laughs> Stand up all our people and sing. Oh, forget it. Anyway. <laughs> we have a responsibility. To love one another, to care for one another, and to hold each other accountable. Let me tell you something. If you go back and you look in Acts chapter 2, you'll see that God was adding to the body of Christ by the thousands. Those people that were watching and witnessing what God was doing in divinely, supernaturally transforming these former sinners, sinful, lost, wretches, and God was transforming them... The people were seeing this. I believe that was one of the things that made the church so attractive to the secular culture around it. They saw that this body calling themselves the way of the believers, of the followers of this Nazarene known as Jesus Christ or the church, if you will. They said, wait a minute. There's something going on in there that we don't have, that I don't have. I want what they've got. Nothing can make a church more attractive. Take your buildings. Have your programs. Have your, your big budgets. Nothing is more attractive to a lost and sinful dying world that is caught up in sinfulness and selfishness and hurt and disappointment and frustration than to see what it means to be a part of a true dynamic love-based family that has God as its father. Biblically healthy churches are committed not just to exalting the Lord, that's first and foremost. Not just to equipping the people of God in discipleship and in fellowship, but also a biblically healthy church is committed 
to engage in the world. There's a world out there, folks. I mean a big world. And there are a lot of people all, all across the globe. How will they hear if no one tells them? How will they experience the wonderful joy of salvation if someone doesn't take the truth of the gospel to them? Let me tell you something. As you look at this passage in Acts chapter 2 verse 40 through 47 there. Look at verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Why did they go to the temple? They could have just stayed in somebody's house. They could have said, let's meet at the park. We we'll have to put up with all them Jews and Pharisees and scribes. Why did they go to the temple? It's where the people were. That's where the people were. Do you understand the early church was never intended to be a private, secretive organization? It was meant to be spun out into the world. First by biblical evangelism. And we see in verse 40, the apostle Peter preaching powerfully the word of God that quickened the hearts of the people. He told them what they needed to do to be saved not only was Peter preaching, we know from our Christian growth group lessons in the book of Acts that God raised up even anointed deacons like Stephen and Philip who were out there preaching the word of God. And look at the fruit that came out of that. Listen, sharing the word of God, taking the word out there, getting it out uh, into the world uh, around us. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord Jesus prior to his ascension into heaven told his disciples, he says, you shall receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Do you hear what Jesus was telling the church then and he's telling the church today? He says, I will give you the power. Don't go out there and try to make a difference in the world on your own, on your own resources, your personality and what have you. Go in the power of the Spirit that I'm using to empower you. He says, I will send my Holy Spirit upon you. You will receive power. Listen, the Lord has provided the power for the evangelism. The Lord has provided the pattern for our evangelism. He said, start right here. Start in your Jerusalem. And then when you've covered Jerusalem, move out to Judea. And then back to Judea, to Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And so it is. As we, effective, as we effectively engage the world around us, we don't need to just engage the world with nice ideas and kind words and good deeds. We need to engage the world with the truth of the gospel. That's what the Lord is calling upon us to do. So when we are practicing biblical evangelism, understand that what we're trying to do out there is share a life-changing message that can dramatically, wonderfully, divinely, eternally change a person's life. And the gospel is not some self-help formula. It's not some Christianized, positive-thinking seminar or some Christian concert. Let me tell you, the gospel is basically this. It's the truth. It's the truth about the holiness of God. 
It's the truth about the sinfulness of man. It's the truth about the love and the grace of God demonstrated through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins, buried in the grave, resurrected on the third day, victorious over death and sin, who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, resulting in the salvation and the adoption of every man, woman, and child who professes faith in the, Jesus, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, repents of their sins, and commits to follow him for the remainder of their life obediently practicing his word that's the gospel and folks the gospel is powerful it's not just another little lesson that you're taking out there when you open your mouth up under the inspiration of the power of the spirit of God let me tell you something you are inducing the greatest power known to all of the uh, of the universe the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God under salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Oh, it's a powerful thing when you take the time to let God take you out into the world, out there in your community, across the street, or across the hallway in your school, or, or across the office space in your office building, or whatever it is, and you sit down face to face with somebody that's struggling who doesn't know Jesus Christ, and you befriend them, and you look in, at, for the Holy Spirit to give you an opportunity to say, can I share with you one of the greatest things that's ever happened in my life? And share the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit work. It results in divinely transformed lives and dedicated disciples. How do we know that? Look at the numbers. Look at the people that were absolutely from 120, they went to 3,000 to 5,000. People who were transformed. How do we know they were truly transformed? Look at Stephen. Didn't bat an eye. Laid down his life. Didn't matter. He wasn't threatened. He saw the face of the resurrected Lord. He knew that he was in the hands of God. Philip going out there sharing the word of God. Wherever the Lord said go. Even if it was a dirty, dusty desert road. Oh yes indeed, lives were transformed. As a church, we must engage in biblical evangelism. But also we are to engage the world by gospel-centered missions. Gospel-centered missions. This is another way that the, the biblically healthy church engages the world. Evangelism based on the true gospel, but also gospel-centered missions. If you read through chapter 3 of Acts, we're not going to do it this morning, you know the story. We studied it in a Christian growth group. Peter and John, on their way to the temple, encountered a lame man who'd been lame all his life. He said, give me some money. Peter says, I'm broke. Look at me. But what I have, I'll give to you. His name is Jesus. Grab my hand, mister. Stand up on your feet for the first time in your whole earthly life. And he jumped up and the man had strength in his ankles and his legs. He never walked. And the guy's jumping up and down like a jumping beam. Let me tell you something. You see what's happening there? Peter goes out. He had to get out from the midst of the Christians. He had to leave the comfort of his little friendship circle of other Christians. Goes out into the world. 
encounters a need, does a good deed. But let me tell you something. Doesn't stop there. That's the fault that I have with 21st century Christian missions today. Sometimes we think all we got to do is go out there and do something good for people and we've accomplished missions. Au contraire. You started, but you haven't finished. Because if you go further in that chapter, chapter 3, you'll see, beginning in verse 11 and further, Peter as... Hey, listen, you got a man that the, the whole community knows has never walked a step in his life and all of a sudden he's running around like a jackrabbit? Let me tell you something. That draws a crowd. So here's Jumping Bean, Mr. John, Jumping Bean John, we're calling him. He's up there bouncing around, around Peter and John. People's gathering. Do you think Peter's saying, yeah, we're so glad we had the opportunity to heal the brother here. If y'all don't mind, we're going to take up an offering and get on our way. He poured the gospel out on him. You see, a good deed opens a door for the good news. And that's the entirety of Christian missions. You see, if we go out there and we do good deeds... And, and that's all we choose to do. Then we're nothing more than any other benevolent organization like the Red Cross. Now, I like the Red Cross. I'm glad that they're doing what they're doing. But we're not the Red Cross. Because as our missionaries are going, they are going with a, with a mindset of, of missions mentality. And you know what? As a church, we ought to be encouraging all of our members and you know, in the Hebrew, the word all means all. Everybody. The biblically healthy churches are continually encouraging all the members to actively move out from the security of the church environment and their personal comfort zones and to engage the hurting the confused, the fearful, the doubtful, the lost. And doing good deeds. Sometimes before you can get a hungry man's attention and his trust and talk to him about Jesus, you've got, you got to give him some food. I was coming out of Lifeway the other couple, well, last week. This gentleman walks up. Well, I was going into life, and he says, hey, buddy, spare any change, don't have a job. You know, I've heard that, and you have too, but, but you know, I said, tell you what, i got to get in here and get this material. And I asked him, I said, well, are you working? No, don't have a job. I said, you have any money? No, don't have any money. Um, so what do you need? Uh, I, I need some food. I said, okay, tell you what, you stay right here. Let me run in here and get what I need to get out of life, or it won't take me a few minutes. And, and I'm not going to give you a nickel. I'm not going to give you one cent. Because I don't give money out, mister. But I'll tell you what. If you're hungry, there's Mario's Pizza right up there. I says, I'll meet you up there. So I went in, got myself. He's waiting for me. Took him up there to Mario's. Said, show the menu. Said, what do you want? He ordered it. I says, now, come here, come here, come here, come here. Before I, I got to go, but before I go, let's talk, let's talk. Food is good for now. But, but, but do you understand what is the most important need you have that goes way beyond your food? I said, do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Tell me about your relationship.
And he told me that he believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He was a believer. I shook his hand. And I went on my way. You see, good deeds without the good news is just benevolence. You've got to follow up with the message. Jesus said in Matthew 6, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, So let your light shine before men that they will see your good works. And what? Glorify your Father in heaven. How are they going to know about your Father? How are they going to know? When Wendy goes down to Lumberton this week with the Baptist Men's Disaster Relief Team, I'm assuming you're still going. And they're going to go down there and help these hurricane victims with their houses and, 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 and taking care of basic needs. I'm sure that along the way, every opportunity you all have, you will let them know. When they ask you, why are you folks with these yellow shirts on coming down here and not charging any money, taking all this time to help us get our houses back in livable conditions? That's like saying sick them to a hound dog, isn't it, to Wendy Godwitz? Because she'll tell them. And so should we. That's what true biblical gospel-centered missions is about. Christ's love leads to kind acts accompanied by the true gospel. That's the heart of biblically healthy churches. So quick review. Pop test. Get your paper out. <laughs> I used to have something similar to a cardiac arrest when I hear I had a Greek professor. He was terrible about that. Walk into class, good morning, gentlemen. How y'all doing? Get a half sheet of paper out. I said, ah, I knew I, I knew I should have reviewed those Greek words last night. <laughs> but I still passed. Talk about the grace of God. <laughs> the essential priorities of a biblically healthy church. Exalting the Lord, equipping His people and engaging the world. I invite you. I did at the beginning of the message. Hold your church, the body of believers that you are under covenant as a part of. And throughout this week, I invite you. Examine Cornerstone. And if you're a member of another church, do it for yours and, and, and go to your pastor after you've done that. He'll probably dismiss you from the membership, but no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but ask yourself. You say, but preacher, you're the pastor. That's your job. Well, sure it is. I'm the overseer and Pastor Mark, but let me tell you something. It's your church. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. This is your church. You have an investment in this congregation. Don't you want to be a part of a dynamic, spirit-filled, word-based, God-glorified, biblically healthy church? Sure you do. And I invite you at any point during the week, if you see weaknesses in our church that deviate from these essential priorities, listen, I don't care what time of day or night it is, where you are, you call Pastor Mark. <laughs> His line is open all day long. He's used to dealing with problems. <laughs> Let's pray.